0: welcome to make that paper the show where we talk about all the crazy jobs we do to make the cash we need to pursue our artistic dreams
1: and for a cable back water bank <laughs> because between global warming and i business Ready. practices this summer of strike demands serious hydration
0: It does, but this is the day we get into the Marines routine, talk about hydration, join the pre-war Corps and experience the G.I. Bill thrill. We are your hosts, Jamie Parker-Stickle. And Jason Beaver. And on today's episode, we welcome a phenomenal writer who is named one of Granta Granta's Granta's. 20 Best of Young American Novelists, and was a finalist for the Penn Hemingway Award. And his book, Dear Mr. President, was chosen as one of the 10 Best Books of the Year by GQ. Yeah, he's
1: the host of the popular Kirk Vonnegut radio podcast, was editor-at-large for McSweeney's for over 10 years. Wait,
0: the McSweeney's. The, the McSweeney's. McSweeney's. For over 10 years. So cool.
1: And teaches at Columbia University, where he received a 2021 fellowship from the Humanities War and Peace Initiative.
0: We are so honored to have him join us. So please welcome the brilliant Gabe Hudson to the Make That Paper podcast. Oh my God, hey. I am so excited! I'm I so remember. Excited.
2: Thank you so much, Jamie and Jason, for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank I'm you. a big fan of the show.
0: Yeah. you, you. I'm All such a big you. fan of yours. Um, can right. I just tell you, like, uh, so I graduated my MFA in 2020, three months after um, the pandemic was announced. So basically, right. uh, like, my graduation was online and, like, my my lecture was online. Everything was online. And so I joined – I had joined Twitter, but I had never been on Twitter. It was just to preserve my name and account on it. right. But so I joined Twitter and here's Gabe Hudson, this famous author interacting with all my cohort from MFA. And I was like, why do you know? Do you know him? Can you introduce me? And they're they're simultaneously like, no, he just responds to authors. And I was like, shut up. And so we start everybody. We had a game. It, It could have been a drinking game, but like few of us drink and like we were like let's see if Gabe likes our tweet let's see if he likes our sponsor we had a game it was wow. amazing you are wow. so cool you're like our hero we were like this is amazing
2: that's amazing to hear because from my perspective <laughs> definitely not what I'm seeing out there on the timeline you know I was just like trying to get I put a bunch of effort into Twitter because of the pandemic and yeah I was living on cape cod kind of by myself so i was like trying to make friends and i was putting a lot of effort into it and then the community that grew out of it was just extraordinary and yes i love all of the west coast affiliates associated with you all i mean you guys are all you all did that mfa under todd goldberg's program yes yes yeah Yeah. love todd love all all of those people like i'm so grateful for them being online they become great friends you know
0: yeah
1: yeah I, I um, feel like I feel like I'm in the room the moment the first time Kevin Bacon finds out about six degrees of Kevin Bacon like, right
0: <laughs> <laughs> I tell people all the time like if you lived in LA long enough and you can't say this about New York it's not the same you can't say it about chicago a little bit about Chicago but la is the epicenter even though writers come out of New York and that's where publishing is etc cetera, etc. Cetera. LA is the epicenter of relationships. Like, if you stay in LA long enough, you will know everybody in the country that has done, yeah. as an artist, that has done anything. Yeah. You're one degree away from everyone. And knowing Todd Goldberg, who's my mentor, um, yeah. is like Such just no know, knowing everybody.
2: I cannot. I did an interview with him uh, a while back, and, like, he had the most amazing stories about his childhood. Like, I don't know if you've heard them, but oh I yeah. Mean, they... They're wild. And I love him to such a high degree. And then the way he talks about his grandfather, um, who was like this mentor, I just I just think the world of him. So such a cool guy.
0: He's a cool guy. Yeah. And so supportive. I mean, he actually helped me get my first um, adjunct professor position uh, this year, which is was one of my goals, but it's so funny because my agent, my lit agent was like, Jamie, she's like, I want to get some early book blurbs for you before we go to, um, publishers with your book. And I was like, great. she's like, make me a list of authors. And so I make a list of authors and she's like, Jamie, all these people are friends with Todd Goldberg. And I'm like, you find me someone that's not friends with Todd Goldberg and we'll talk like, I, this is an impossible mission. (laughs) Who's he now friends with (laughs) it
2: is it is incredible i mean there is uh yeah there was somebody else um that recently was like appointed to a position that todd is good friends with i think did an mfa with you no he did bennington but is like friends with todd i think he went to bennington with todd um but yeah just the degree to which todd supports people todd was supportive of me getting my podcast original podcast off the ground like I don't know that I would have had the courage to do it were it not for his encouragement. So yeah, it's, uh, I love the internet for that, you know?
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, it's amazing. I have, to,
1: I have to retract. I, I realized that Todd Goldberg is Kevin Bacon.
2: Yes.
0: Th- I think that's, well, that's what you were saying. I mean, I understood that. I understood yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So here's what I think is super interesting. And, um, my, understanding of the military was limited to i had um a grandfather that quit college to go enlist for world war ii and then my second grandfather was an immigrant and he had to leave the u.s to go fight for canada he became a bombardier and he um taught flight school and stuff for world war ii but so cool
2: i mean all that's all fascinating
0: yeah yeah And then they stopped teaching when it got to Vietnam in my history classes. And my dad was not in Vietnam. He was in college. And then, like, I didn't understand that there was military beyond that. Because I think, like, I was one of those sheltered children. So my parents, like put blinders on us and put like college prep, college prep, college prep. Yep. So I didn't know that you could join the military. This is how naive I am until I went to Michigan state university. And one of my dorm mates was in the reserves. And I yep. was like, there you
2: go. Yeah.
0: Tell me more. And it was a girl. And I was like, tell yep. me more. And you, when did you, did you join out of high school knowing? No. Okay. Let's so, talk about like,
2: that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a funny trajectory that I've been more and more candid about as I get older because I figure I'm gonna die soon anyway, and it's not like (laughs) I was trying to hide it before. But I'm like, if you look at me on paper, I look like I've received all these fellowships from fancy universities, Ivy League schools, and stuff. So it looks like one thing, but the truth is, I have a GED. I'm a high school dropout, and I dropped out of high school in my junior year. I moved up to Austin, Texas. And I went to Austin Community College for one year. And if you had a 3.0 average or above back then, you just seamlessly transfer into UT Austin. So that's what I did. Amazing. Yeah. So I then got into UT Austin. Everyone was like, wow, this guy's got some magic tricks. How do you do that? And then I proceeded to just do terribly because I like didn't <laughs> go to class and had a lot of fun. And so I was <laughs> on a rocky road again, I was on ropes again. And um, I had always been interested in the Marine Corps and in military and in war, in large part because I was reading a lot of like Cormac McCarthy's *Blood Meridian*.
0: Shut I mean, up! Yes. That's insane! Oh my god! It's such a peculiar recruiting. I, I don't. Yes, oh I my don't god!
1: How that? Uh, it, it, like I understand how it would interest you, but I don't understand yes. how it would seduce you.
0: Yeah, for me I'd be the well, that's not actually I agree with you because which is why I do true crime now. Like I'm I'm and why I want to be an investigator and um I do get it. What I'm saying is let's put a period on that. I get you. Yes. Yes and I need an explanation. Please go.
2: So there was like, if you look at that book, I mean, it's just all about war and the main one of the main yes. characters, the judge, who's sort of like the stand in for the whale, because the whole thing is like, kind of lifted from Moby Dick, like the first three words of Moby Dick are Carl, call me Ishmael, the first three words of Blood Meridian are see the child, like there's a rhythm there. Yeah. And the judge pontificates about war, as if it's like the ultimate divinity, and it's the in he has this one quote where he says, until a man, a lot of this stuff is very patriarchal, probably toxic masculinity, um, but he says, until a man looks into the horror of the round and realizes that that speaks to his innermost heart, he will never be able to dance. Like, there's all this sort of Nietzsche, you know, nihilism woven in there, and yeah. it's very archetypal. It's very yeah. seductive. Um, so I wanted to know. Like, I kind of knew I was a white boy from the suburbs. I wanted to get dirty so that I would have something to write about. So the Marine Corps just seemed, and also I was like a soccer, big soccer guy when I was in high school. I was like the star, so it was really weird when I quit. Yeah, I want to
0: talk to you about that for a second, because you look like an Abercrombie and Fitch model. Like, you look at pictures of Gabe Hudson, and he's like... Big blue eyes. He's He is the poster child for American meat and potatoes, but like Abercrombie, right? Like, right. gorgeous.
2: So, But inside, I am like a tiny little woman. I'm sure, <laughs> but inside, I am what? a tiny little woman. I kid You're, you not. That four. is the true thing. Yeah. But I will say, let me say this about like the most sort of superhuman Marines that I encountered. They were not like me. Like I look like a certain kind of thing, but actually, the regular-sized person with no bells and whistles—that's the person that can do the extraordinary things. That—that's what I saw time and time again.
1: Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I've, I've 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 hung out with a couple of Marines, and and uh, this one guy, Rudy Reyes. Um, what well, he's now he's like a you know a fitness guru. That's his, his new thing, but you know same height as me same everything but the guy just was superhuman he yeah we're superhuman and Did you and, see them and, do uh, things
2: where you're like whoa how you know yeah. okay that's amazing yeah. i loved yeah. it i love being around those people i love being around The diversity, you mentioned his last name, Ray's. You know, I was an enlisted Marine. So the officer class is very different. That's a privilege thing. People have a college degree. They choose to go in the military, amongst many other good choices they have in life. But in the enlisted, you got a bunch of desperate characters who basically jump through that Marine Corps portal because life in civilian world was not working out. And Mm -hmm. like I met immediately guys who'd been living in their car for the last two years dealing drugs on the coast of UC Santa Cruz. And like someone kind of put a hit out on that dude and he had to get out of there quick join the marine corps like just these real characters that you'd never get to meet anywhere else and i'm so grateful for that it changed my life
1: you were saying that um you wanted to join the marines so you would have something to write about Were you was writing still i'd be all i should say was writing already your ultimate goal
2: yeah for whatever reason i had been telling people that my father is like uh, big, uh, kind of like, I would say like a big intellectual, like he, you know, he reads the big books and he's a big believer in books and, um, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't come from a lot. So this was something he discovered in college. And then it's sort of like, he converted to this religion of just, you know, classical music, the whole thing. Wow. Um, uh-huh. so like he read to me by like Theodore Rutke's poems. He read to me Huckleberry Finn when I was eight, you know, he he was like reading major literature at my face as a kid. We didn't have a TV. We didn't have a lot of money. And it was great because it was like an entertaining time. And my parents divorced when I was five. You know, I'm a child of the 70s. You know, that whole the big divorce epidemic that happened then. Mm-hmm. And so those were very special times for me to like listen to somebody read to me like that. And I just always, I was an only child I just would go to the library every weekend, get like 18 books and read them i mean that is really how i learned how to become a human it's not from my parents but from books teaching me about like morality and different kinds of people and stuff
0: yeah yeah i my my grandmother was um similar in that um she dropped out of school when she was 16 and um she was an avid reader like all she was more worldly than people who go through school with multiple degrees because all she did was read right. and she would bring me boxes of books to support my love of reading and writing i shouldn't have been reading these books and my son today at like eight years old is like can i read this book and i'm like absolutely not no, fully knowing i was reading worse than what he's asking right. me Right.
1: but, right. but i I had a very specific, very personal to, to to me and to us question. You said you were eight when your father read you Huckleberry Finn. Last night, yeah. I was looking for a book to read to our eight-year-old, Jack, yeah. uh, and I saw on the shelf, I don't even know how it got there, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and I was like, oh, this would be maybe not yet. And I yeah. I, I have to ask you, how did, how, how did uh, Huckleberry Finn go over at eight?
2: It went over great because I, I'm see i'm i think i'm weird like if so when i went in the marine corps they tried to turn me into like a killing machine literally they're like we're gonna make you a killing machine i was a rifleman and i was like yeah you know but what they did they didn't turn me into a killing machine they actually what happened is i became my humanity grew and i learned how to love people from all different walks of life that kind of people i'd never met before different you know ethnicities races, whatever
0: Yeah.
2: so i tend to take a positive thing out of a thing so Huckleberry Finn, I think I took away all the like, mischievous spirit. And, you know, when he says, God damn it, I will go to hell, you know, because he's not going to be racist anymore. Like, that's what I took from it. I took from it like a boy who's surviving with his wits and creativity. And I did not take from it, the N word and stuff like that. And I'm a little horrified as I tell that story about my father, who I know was well meaning. I just I don't know. I don't have a recollection of him reading the N word. So I'm like, did he, or didn't he, I don't know, but it's kind of horrific to think that. But mm-hmm. so yeah, I completely understand you being a little cautious about exposing your, what did you say your son? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it's, I read Tom Sawyer when I was nine, when I showed up to fourth grade on the first day and I had Tom Sawyer in my backpack, I was almost done. And I had Huckleberry Finn. Cause my grandma had given them to me. Um, I remember Miss Taylor, the fourth grade teacher, saying, are you reading these? And I said, well, I'm done with Tom Sawyer and I'm about to start Huckleberry Finn. And the next day, I was put into the fifth grade class. Yeah. Because my comprehension level of under, you know, like she was like, mm, we're not going to keep you in fourth grade. And that tells me a lot, not about me, but about those books and what they're assuming that we're understanding or taking from them, right? As a As right. a child. And I think you're right because... <clears throat> One, I don't think the words should be removed from the book, as you know. Right, right. Don't don't reset history. Like let's not yeah. wash it away. But also, I don't remember those words in it as I read it for the same yeah. reasons as that wasn't where my focus was. My focus was on Huck and Tom and their development in this coming of age and and yeah the and the resistance
2: um, to racism and slavery. Yeah, I mean, I've been sort of devoutly anti-bigot all through my life i think it's just because of all these books that told me what the right thing was and i felt it in my heart and some of those books made me cry and so it was very easy for me not to be that way growing up
0: so what was it like in 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 enlisted in the military because you were enlisted versus choosing it as um and we know there's a difference because our dad our friend's dad was chose it after college to be an officer versus enlisting
2: yeah enlisting is just like you go to your recruiter and you're like hey you know what can you do for me i think because of the war the iraq war from what i've been reading a bunch of those memoirs of those people and um there's a lot more opportunities like you could be very specific about the track you want to be on but this was like right around the first persian gulf war
1: 1991
2: um and so you know it was like the marine recruiter was like well I said, I want to go infantry, and yeah, I've been watching all those, like, Vietnam War movies, like, uh, Full Metal Jacket.
0: Latoon,
2: yes. You know, that stuff really seeks in your psyche, and my father had served during the Vietnam War, um, and so... but he never cared about that. He, like he let my little brother wear his army uniform around the house as like a costume or something. He didn't care, but, but he still knew my dad did it. And so the legacy of the Vietnam war was something I felt acutely like that toughness, that craziness. What was that? seems like everybody kind of lost their mind. And when you're young, or at least when I was young, you kind of want to lose your mind a little bit too. You know, you're like, I think I could do lose my mind right now a little. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went into the recruiter in Austin, Texas and he was like, Oh, he was looking at my transcripts. He's like, well, you have actually pretty good grades. Like I could put you behind a computer and you'll have a fancy job. It'll be cool. I was like, no, 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 no. I have to go into the infantry. Like I want to be a ground pounder a grunt. That's what I know. You know, I know I want to do that. And if you don't do that for me, I'm not going to sign up. And he was like, are you sure that's the worst one that we give to people? I said, that's what I want. And um, so I got it. I was a three eleven rifleman and um I'll tell you those months leading up to boot because we didn't really have the internet in the same way to research it and stuff.
1: Right.
2: It was really quite anxiety-inducing.
1: Well, you're oh you just god. watching,
0: you know, Full Metal Jacket, and uh... yeah,
2: <laughs> they, they give the you the Vietnam- Deer Hunter. Yeah, mm-hmm. Deer Hunter. Oh god, and-
0: that messed me up. That movie.
1: You were starting to say something uh, that they wanted to turn you into a killing machine. They were, yeah. and and. And essentially, you were starting to say that they failed, you had been saying that uh, they sort of failed to do that and instead, brought out more of your humanity. And, um, you know, you also said that you were on this journey, as a writer, seeking, Mm -hmm. seeking, you know, your, 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 that purpose, but like, to become well rounded. So you had something to write about. Can you? Kind of talk to us because so many of the people who come on the show talk about the jobs they had and how you know waiting tables this restaurant inspired this uh this play they wrote or something like that and can you kind of tell us how that journey obviously didn't go the way you planned but maybe took you in the way that it was supposed to
2: sure And what's interesting is I think it did also kind of take me in the way that I planned. Like I was potentially a killing machine. I mean, I was pretty, I was pretty wild and tough at that time i fought some i remember i went back to austin and i was with my college friends and i got like in a fight with these bikers in a back alley and i like romped one of them real hard and not in a way that a college kid normally would and my friends were like what the heck is you know but i'm not saying i was the toughest there was a zillion tougher guys than me a zillion um but that process was like, you know, I'm an only child. I think I didn't realize it until I got older, did therapy. I think I've been very lonely for like a lot of my life. And um, so suddenly I'm sleeping in a bunk with 70 guys in a barracks and we're waking up together and we're, we're going to the bathroom together. We're showering, we're bleeding, we're crying together. You know, I saw guys at the beginning of training who couldn't even climb up a rope, Like, but by the end of it, they were just going up and down that thing like a, you know, like a jelly bean. I mean, it was like you watch people become amazing in front of your face and do things that before they couldn't do. And you saw people under intense duress, how they handled that duress, whether they be shouting at or like if somebody is made to do something in a terrible position for a couple hours or if they take you out front and there's like sand pits and they bend you, they call it, you get, you get bent. And I think they call it something else now, but they just make you do like pushups, jumping jacks, leaping frogs, just like a crazy amount of stuff till you basically expire in the sand and you are a mess. Wow. And you know, I was doing that. I was getting in trouble a fair bit. Like I was a troublemaker, but I was also very devoted to like my guys. So, um, You know, I'm trying to think of an example of what I witnessed or how my humanity grew. I mean, there's little moments. Like, I remember there's this big black guy from Louisiana next to me, Jackson. He's a couple inches taller. He's just a sweetheart, sweetest dude on earth. He was just reading letters one day. And I said, What's going on? What's up, Jackson? What you reading? And he was like, You know, my pastor writes me these letters every week. And they're like the most important thing in my life. So I read them. And it's just like, you just don't hear that. Like you just don't, I, w- I never saw that before in my life. Or when we showered, it's like dudes would have form. They'd be like former Aryan guys. At least I think they were, but they would have the tats all on their back. And then there'd be like gangbangers from LA, you know, Hispanic dudes with tats on their back. And it, it showed like who they were before versus who they are now. And in now we're all together. And it really felt profound to me and yeah. at the end of boot camp, they do this really peculiar thing where uh, I never heard anyone talk about it. It's called a gong show. And you know, you're scared of your DIs. For three months, you're scared. And all of a sudden they pull up the foot Lockers They say, everybody got around in a circle. This is two days before we graduate boot camp. We're gonna do a gong show. What's that? They say, Well, we want you to do your best imitations of us and of your fellow people in the troop. And like everybody, I had no idea. People are like, oh, do that imitation. Like all these friends knew their friends had good imitations that they'd been whispering at night. So they get up and do that. And it's like, you know, artificial intelligence replication. It's like exactly the voice of these guys, you know, like uh-huh. the cadets were just doing perfect imitations. And it just showed how deeply all of these people recruits and DIs had become embedded in our psyche and in our heart that they were instantly recognizable. And I never laughed so hard. And it just tears rolling down the side of my face. I was like, unbelievable. Um, But yeah, you know, it was weird, because like, then you the next thing you know, you'd be taking a class on how to sneak up on a sentry and literally slit their throat with like a rubber knife, you know, but somehow doing that with these guys just made me love them more. You know, and I wasn't anxious to slit anyone's throat, but it was just it was a, it was like the craziest Boy Scout camp you could ever imagine.
1: Yeah, way more intense than Boy Scouts, but yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> did you? I have a question. Did you finish college before you went and enlisted, or were you simultaneously, or did you drop out?
2: No, I was doing it simultaneously. So, yeah, so I did. Is that I went away. ROTC. By, nope. No, because that would be like the officer class. So um, I just enlisted. I left college for one year. I enlisted in the Marines. I went and did a year of active duty, which was like boot camp, Marine combat training and the School of Infantry and some other stuff. And so I was at Pendleton for that time. And then I rotated back to the States. I mean, back to uh, UT Austin. And I joined my reserve unit in San Antonio, which is a reconnaissance unit, which is sort of like a little bit like special forces for the marines force recon is like the hardcore special forces and we were a recon unit and amphibious unit so we were jumping out of helicopters into the ocean and doing like pontoon boats and stuff like that it was really kind of wow. fun to be, yeah
1: it actually sounds fun when you it was fun. the fighting out of it <laughs> yep. i was gonna ask if you were ever deployed
2: no um and i felt so lucky about that For a long time, I wanted to be deployed. I wanted to go to war. I was hardcore. Like I was like, I almost was bummed to leave to go to the reserves. That's how much I love the culture there. Um, But I'm so grateful now, because I see what happened to these very unfortunate vets who I care a great deal about and I like help found this literary magazine at Columbia University that spotlights the writing of veterans and But so I got all the benefits being in the Marine Corps, all the benefits without having to pay any of that extra horrid price of like maybe losing somebody or killing someone. I don't want that on my conscience, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you were, Um, you were in training during the first Iraq war. Is that right?
2: I I signed up in 1992.
1: So uh, after they'd come back.
2: Just just after but here's the really weird thing like I've spent my whole life thinking about like what we've been doing in Iraq, starting from 1991. That war never ended. I mean, Correct. it was so yeah. weird. George Bush declared it George Bush senior declared it over in 100 hours, but that war never ended through the 90s. We continued to send people in there malign them. It, it's really nuts. So, uh, yeah. but yes, yeah, I missed all that.
0: But considering the fact that we continue to have troops overseas, the fact that you were never a part of a group that was sent, yeah, it's sort of miraculous in a way. Like, I don't even know how you escaped that. Is it because you were simultaneously in college at that point?
2: No, they just they didn't call up the huge numbers during the 90s. In fact, there was a... Um... downscaling of the military. Uh, And in fact, that's what a large part of the 1981 Gulf War, all that air power they showed off, that was them trying to win contracts. So the government wouldn't downscale the pay of everybody. And um, they just didn't need that kind of uh, person power. So they were fine. In fact, I heard of really good Marines that were just sort of let go in the late 90s because they just there was no need to keep them it was only after 9 11 everything ramped up
0: interesting i think it's interesting too because like i when i graduated in the mid 90s Mm -hmm. high school like i also i didn't know what people were doing really i just was very self-aware of what I had to do and what was expected of me and like
2: I think that's how a lot of
0: us were back then. Uh, right and you didn't have the internet so there was no conscious awareness of you know what other people and places were doing but I do remember coming home after my first year and seeing um because I, I grew up in a very like diverse middle class neighborhood so mm-hmm. there was like we had teachers and postal workers and plumbers and like it's just all over the map and it's a small yeah. small town i graduated with like i think my graduating class was like 300 people i don't remember but in detroit so that's like sort of a big deal to be so small yeah and yeah. um i do remember like seeing The guys who had enlisted, no girls, no women, but the guys who had enlisted walking around in their t-shirts, like so proud in their like fatigues and t-shirts, like at the shopping center, which was our little market. And it'd be Mm -hmm. like, oh, hey, Ryan. So is this a look now? No, I joined the military. (laughs) Like, oh, why? You know, (laughs) it was such, so to hear your perspective on it and the whole time, did you know, that you wanted to be a writer or at any point in time, did you think, oh, I'm going to make a life, a career out of the military?
2: I thought I would make a career out of the military at one point. I thought like maybe I could finish up my college and like become an officer. I really believed in the core and I do really believe in the values that it espouses. I just think that those get very crooked, once you get out of the lower ranking enlisted and officer ranks, you get to the career officers and people in the Pentagon, those people are making very bad decisions intentionally letting our people get maimed, so that they can personally profit off of war making machinery from corporations. I mean, that's the essence of this sad situation. So I was all in in the Marine Corps, and I still have been more deeply moved by the humanity of the people I served with than anyone. I think probably any other group of people that I've been with, except for I was in Korea for five years as a creative writing teacher. And that was very moving too. But I love those, those people were there for me when I needed them when I was down. And I got up, like, after I got out of the Marines, everything changed. Just, Just can't even describe to you what a huge change it was in my life. Like, all my dreams started coming true, you know?
0: That's amazing. How long did you spend in the Marines?
2: In four years.
0: Four years, okay. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. so
2: you're doing like the weekend reserve stuff and then they send, so it's one weekend a month, which oddly comes up way more frequently than you would imagine. And um, then we do two weeks every summer, uh, usually at Kent Pendleton, you do some sort of training. So it, it was this weird hybrid life. And like, when I started taking creative writing classes from my first creative writing teacher, Ben Marcus, uh, at University of Texas at Austin, he's now in Columbia. So it's wild, because I get to know him there. Um, he was <laughs> very important to me. He turned me on to like, Dennis Johnson's, Jesus is a sign and you know, like the Kafka parables, and just a whole bunch of like, you know, Tim O'Brien, all this like really crucial foundational texts. And So at the same time, I'm taking that class and my mind is changing and I'm in the studio trying to write my short stories. Once a month, I got to like put on my like helmet and my uniform and get all, you know, get my high and tight haircut and all that stuff and be dialed in and show up with those guys who were very hardcore. Like they all had their jump wings and their scuba bubbles and the Marine unit I was at, that recon unit, they wanted especially because I sort of looked a certain way. They wanted to send me to all those fancy schools, which would have been my dream come true until I met Ben Marcus because my real dream was being a writer. And that kind of changed everything. So, How old
0: were you when you met Ben Marcus?
2: 22.
0: So you're young. Okay, that's awesome. So are you getting paid monthly when you're on the reserves? Okay.
2: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Like that was a big part of it too. You know, the appeal of that. Yes. I think it's impossible for anybody to ever name the one reason they went in the military. It's so complicated. It's very yeah. peculiar. Um, so you sort of switch throughout time, different contexts are like, but at one time the GI Bill was like the main reason I went in, you know? Yeah, Yeah. Um, of
1: course. Yeah. And I'm sure for so many people, I mean, not, I'm sure, I know that for so many people, that's why the GI Bill is there. It's very attractive. It's lucrative. It opens doors that otherwise are not available to be open to, to many people. Yeah,
0: we've we've had several artists on the show that went into the military in college and the whole yeah. purpose was because they needed money.
2: Right.
1: And GI Bill. Now what you often see, and I'd not to undercut the GI Bill, but what we often see is that I don't want to call it a bait and switch because you know what your what the possibilities are but you yeah. go in with the promises of this of, of a better life. But yeah. if, if things go sideways, or rather if they go the kind of the intended purpose of being in the military is to be sent into combat. And should you pull that card, that better life maybe isn't, isn't as available anymore or possible. Right,
2: I, I think that's true. What's really funny though, is there's so much about the military that is bait and switch that i think that uh, the gi bill is one of the lesser bait and switches you know like so many people end up on paths they did not know they were going on when they signed up mm-hmm. um i'll tell you a funny story is like so when we back then we would do boot camp then marine combat training at uh, camp pendleton and that's reasonably hardcore stuff and that's so like every marine can be a rifleman first. And then after that, you go to your various schools. And so this guy though, he signed like a blank contract. He was pretty hardcore. And so he got a piece of paper at the end of Marine combat training, telling him what his new job would be in the Marine Corps. He didn't know, right? And he was hardcore. And he opened it right in front of us. I didn't really like this guy that much. And he saw it said, cook. He was a cook. And he, I have never (laughs) seen someone lose their mind. Like, he was going to be a cook (laughs) for the next four years. (laughs) We were all, we didn't want to laugh too hard because we knew that guy would like jump on us and start hitting us or something. But I've never, I've never forgotten seeing such a seismic shift in someone's life just determined by an arbitrary piece of paper like that. It's so funny
0: that you just said I didn't want to, we didn't want to laugh too hard because he'd jump on us and start hitting us. And I mean, like, that's so much Gronk um, in the Teenage Dragon. It's just like, that's the language you use. Like, sometimes it's just like, I'm like, it is so... I I, talking to you is crazy because like, oh, he sounds like his book. Like these stories are mimicking. (laughs) It's so good.
2: Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah.
0: I don't think I've actually heard that exactly,
2: but I hope I mean, just just the way
0: you just said about that guy. I'm like, oh my God, that is Totally you know the jocks in the book who just like you 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 snort funny and bam you're eaten you're gone you're dust
2: jamie you were asking me like about college like did it pay for the gi bill yeah. and one thing i wanted to say as many of us know coming from like you know solid middle class families like the gi bill built america's middle class you know coming yeah. out of And like my father's a GI Bill guy and everyone I knew's dad was mother was a GI Bill guy. So there was I felt there was something very interesting of like engaging with this that had been so central for the previous generation, you know, the GI Bill.
0: Yeah, which also confuses me. Like, so my grandfather was an immigrant and he ended Mm up um, being.
2: Where did he immigrate
0: from? He was from England, but they were poor and they came over and they were kids. They lost their mom and they were put into foster care through the Salvation Army. And then he enlisted. And so he had to go to Canada to fight. And then the U.S. brought him down because they were missing. They needed more men for the U.S. But then they paid for him to go to engineering school. Like he got three engineering degrees through the government and uh, for having been having served. And then, you know, it it made. His life different, like yeah. We, I would be somebody else had he not been an engineer, had he not done this right. Mm. And then you get to my father. That's not his dad, but my father's um grandfather or, or dad, my gr- other grandfather, like enlisted because he believed in the cause in in World War Two. Mm. Obviously, like it was pivotal to him, and he. You know, he became an officer right away, like he was a named general after boot camp because he came Mm -hmm. from more means and education and whatever. And they put him over in France. Now, my point in saying this is they did everything possible to keep my dad out of Vietnam like they did. And he was terrible in school. (laughs) But, you know, like they didn't want him to be in. They drafted, like he, they, my grandfather saw all his best friends die oh, on the you front line. You're
2: bae, meaning your older family members. Yeah, and so yeah, they yeah. just
0: did not want my dad in Vietnam at all, and they did everything they could to prevent their son from being drafted. And then my parents did the same thing. Like my brother was born with juvenile diabetes, and he was really sick and almost died. Like our whole childhood, he was always in the hospital. I'm
2: sorry.
0: A door away from death. He, you know, it, it was terrifying, and. I remember distinctly the moment my parents said, at least he'll never be drafted. Like, it was like the fear that that their parents had put into them because of World War II and then living through Vietnam and the fear that, you know, my mom married my dad very young because he could be drafted and she wanted to be his wife before that happened. Like, it's weird to me that you signed up and that, like, your dad was supportive of that because he was in Vietnam. You know, I feel like we had a different sort of...
2: Oh, I don't think he was like in supportive. He was, (laughs) he's anti-war. He's, he, but he does not want me to be like a spoiled white kid from the suburbs. And he thought, you know, this guy's stumbling. He just went and did this on his own. You can't turn it around now. Let's see what happens. You know, and I was started writing people letters back then because we didn't have internet so much and writing him letters and you know my mind got calm like for the first i would say for the first 2 weeks of boot camp i had dreams about my past then like for the next couple of weeks i had dreams about my present and then in the next couple of weeks i had dreams about my future it was really interesting my mind just calmed down almost like in a i would say there's almost something buddhist about boot camp it is devoid of advertisement it is devoid of any kind of like real technology, except for munitions, yeah. you, you are running and singing for the first time in your life with groups of guys, and you're singing songs that are over 100 years old, that you've never heard before, but they put the hair up on the back of your neck, like this stuff. That's like a spiritual experience of sorts, yeah. at least it was for me Who didn't come up with religion. Um, so it was just deeply affecting to my spirit. And it, it, it allowed me to just calm down in life and then like kind of feel proud, feel strong, feel like I could just, you could just tell me to stand at attention over there for eight hours, I could do it. I could run up a mountain and tackle someone or whatever I needed to do, I could do it. And I watch little weakling guys. That's one thing I wanna say about the Marines. It's not full of like these, it's not always these hardcore guys. A lot of them are guys that got beat up a lot, right? And this Uh is their last chance to kind of get tough. And I watched them do it. And it was like, I think some of them wanted to go home and beat up that bully that had hurt them all their lives. And I wish them all the power with it. So you get a real odd mix of folks in there. But the thing is, is once you go through, everyone's done it. It's like that does bond you together, you know?
0: And do you think that, like, America should have a policy like Israel where we should all serve for a year or two and then... Your college is paid for. And also, you know how to defend your country and yourself and have, you know, a, a more worldly experience when you go out to be a worker of I any think, of any kind. I
2: think it would be great. So I have like my views on this stuff continue to evolve, especially as I get older. I'm like, okay, now you really got to have some wise or some outlook on this that reflects your maturity. And it, so I think I love the military. I think we should have it, but I don't think we should ever, ever use it. Like, it yeah. should be amazing, but we should never use it. The moment you enter a war, either side, you lose. There, That's like the big con game out there from the leaders in the military and in the government. We're going to win this war. A war is not winnable. It should yeah. be illegal to use the word win in the same sentence as war everybody loses everybody loses their humanity so i love the military it reminds me of this incredible like a sports team you know yeah and i think it'd be great for everyone to experience that but i also don't think we should ever use our military because if we do we've already lost
0: yeah oh yeah yeah i yeah perhaps uh a
1: forced service maybe not military service but some form of community service Two yeah, years and I mean, and
2: also any kind of service i think is really good i liked wearing a uniform i was proud to wear it uh you know now i think in the aftermath of the uh global war on terror there's very mixed perceptions about the military and i think the military is degraded i don't think like the quality of the personnel is what it used to be i think i mean you know i think bush i cried on the night that we did the shock and awe to Iraq. Cause I knew, I knew that this horror landscape that we live in now was coming. I knew he was throwing a generation in the trash can and that we would see things like the rise of um, assault weapons. You mm-hmm. know, he also let the assault weapons expire in 2004. I knew we were coming to this hellscape and now we're here. And yeah. um, it's heartbreaking, it's heartbreaking. I mean, I think the attack on 106, if you look at that that's very similar to the attack that we did to saddam hussein's government buildings i mean our guys were in there defecating on the floor putting their feet up on desks. it's like we brought this Mm -hmm. on ourselves like we tried to export democracy and we destroyed our democracy we tried to go fight terrorism and we became we we, yeah we became full of domestic terrorists like it is a very so so it's more complicated now talking about the military and stuff, but I still always care so much about those individuals on the ground because they had no choice, and those are great people. And um, and, but like I said, I'm so glad I don't have that baggage that I didn't have to do that.
1: Yeah, I I, uh, I don't remember where I read it, um, but I do remember reading this this comparison between the military and organized religion and how if you look at the the people that that make it up it's pure it's good it's and 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 they are individually made better Mm -hmm. but um but then when you step back and look at the you know the what's above it and and how the whole thing is utilized uh and manipulated that's when
2: it gets dirty and that's when it gets um yeah like uh cheney getting all those halliburton you know halliburton like uh, all the people on the ground in iraq were working it was just it was so clearly for them to profit naomi klein has some wonderful writing about this and insights and i mean she is just gobsmacked that the american public is not more freaked we've never had an administration just wholesale just ripping off america like that in front of their faces and in doing it with impunity. I mean, what what Bush did was so much worse than Trump. I mean, I loathe Trump, but Bush brought so much bloodshed. And when you okay torture, I mean, a democracy, can it survive that? I'm not, it's not clear that it can, because once you lower the bar so low on our behavioral standards, then you end up with these nutty politicians firing their guns off in their commercials. It just, it unleashed a devil in our country, I think, you know, that that I think many historians would say has been there all along. Yes. But maybe we just didn't feel it as much in the 90s.
0: That's what I was going to say. It's just so farcical that it reads like satire when I see it on social media. I'm like, this isn't, oh, this is real. (laughs) Okay, this is crazy. Yeah.
1: Let me ask then, um, because I would like to, you know, at some point you 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 were discharged Mm -hmm. and you went back to Texas and then, this new career the real career took off writer yeah. yes writer
2: yes yeah and it was an uh, gr- yeah uh, please uh well my, my question it was is- an am- it was an amazing i wrote about this in one of my sub i wrote about this on subsec about my post about cormac mccarthy because it was just so fortuitous timing on my part so mm-hmm. We got out of the Marines, but when I got out of the Marines, I would still look like a Marine. I was a Marine. I think I even wore my dog tags for a while and civilian were a little embarrassed about that. But, you know, I reported to my unit, the recon unit in San Antonio, and I resumed, resumed school at the University of Texas at Austin. First semester back, I speak to the counselor and he, and he knows I want to become like a writer. And he's like, there's this hot shot young guy who's visiting. His class is full, but if you go talk to him and he says, yes, I can still let you in. So that was Ben Marcus. And I go in Ben Marcus is like 28 wearing cargo shorts some high tops. His first book, uh, The Age of Wire and String is about to drop from Kanoff, like a month later. And I go in and I see him I say, Hey, I want to take your class. Can I take your class? I see that you have blood meridian on your syllabus. He goes, I love that book. I was like, I love that book. I want to go meet Cormac McCarthy who lives down in El Paso. I said, will you let me in my class, in your class? He said, yes. And he signed the thing. And it was like, you know, next thing I know, that guy's like calling on me to like read my work out loud. He like, he sort of like wailed at the class one day about how they weren't paying attention to their language as seriously as they should. And then he like pointed to me and my work as like somebody who was, um, And he just, you know, when in his office hours, he was like, you should apply for an MFA. Like, I can, I can help you with that. He introduced me to like Gordon Lish and all those writers, Brian Evanson, um, the quarterly magazine. I mean, he opened up a whole world to me and I loved it. I ate it up. I just couldn't get enough.
0: And he sounds like the best teacher ever.
2: He was incredible. And, and then, so anyway, so he left then to go take a tenured position at Old Dominion, which he stayed at for one semester, and then he went to Brown. Um, but in that time, he and I continued to send letters, because we were not so emaily back then. And I would send him long letters about like books I was reading, Michael and early works, you know, the collected works of Billy the Kid, just cool stuff. And he caught yeah. me on to that. And, and so he would like write back. And then I sent out some stories and they immediately got published like, like in the Berkeley fiction review. It was like my first time ever. I put it in an essay and sent it off and it pubbed in the Berkeley fiction review. And in the next semester, also when he was gone, I won the like top prize in the creative writing in the English department, the creative writing prize with like a cash prize, like it was nuts. And like the professors, the thing, they came up to me and they were like, how did you write this? Like it was not even close. You were so number one, you know. And I was just Good. like, oh my God, this is like my dreams come true. And um, and then I applied to Brown. And obviously, because of Ben, you know, in large part, I got in and it was a full fellowship. So they paid wow. for everything. Oh, and, wow. you know, I went from being a GD kid in the enlisted Marines to like a fully funded brown guy who then they let me teach my own class that semester My in those two years which was wild
0: yeah i love the story i have goosebumps yeah this it was is so like, good
2: it was so special and it felt like it came out of that marine time like when i told you about the like buddhist aspect of being like just the way you get calm inside yourself and you could sort of see what's important to you and you have an opportunity, and someone's opening a door, and you're going to go for it. And it, I just couldn't have been more excited about everything, you know,
0: but I, I want to point out that you are so humble, and like, you know, um, very honest about, I, I dropped out, I got a GED, then mm-hmm. I did this, I wasn't doing so great. And then I did this. But like, through all of that, I think, you, you know, a star was rising, you know, you, you weren't, I think what we fail to see sometimes is that people don't do well in certain structures because there's something different going on in their brain and how they function and how things are translating for them. And it sounds like you're a real story guy, you know, like, I, okay, I know how to say this, Jamie, work on it. I just think it fell into place because you did all these other things, and you had so much to say, that when you were able to be vulnerable, which takes some time, and it sounds like the military allowed you to be vulnerable when you left, that vulnerability translated so well to an audience, that everybody ate you up, like it was, it's what people needed to read, it's what people needed to hear, it's what people needed to see, right, like it's just so honest, and, and transparent, you know, and I think that you know, reading your stuff, you really do talk to everyone. Not, nothing you write feels mm, impossible or imposed or right. like, um,
2: and I work at it to make reach. it like that. I make it, I work at it to make yeah. it like that. You know, it's, like I think it's going to make me know, cry. It's so, so, so
0: wonderful like,
2: to be accessible and to build to yes. to like a lot of people, you know, it's like, It's funny. It takes it takes work. I know you know that, but I'm just saying that for the benefit of anybody listening, because I know sometimes you know Kurt Vonnegut was one of my writing hero. Was often maybe disparaged for having simple sentences, and I mean it's like the art of what he did cannot be overstated. And it's just because it's not sweaty. I liken it to like a joke, like a really cool joke just happens, and before you know it, you're laughing. A sweaty joke that sounds labored is not as funny. And it doesn't have the same effect. And his right. jokes are just like seamless, you know?
0: Yeah. Um. This has been an amazing episode. We're so excited for it to air. We thank Gabe for being here and we will link to um, Gabe's information, his podcast, uh, in the show notes. I mean, I feel like everybody who listens to this already knows who you are, but nonetheless.
1: Okay. We'll make it nonetheless. Before yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you.
2: Thank you. Okay. thank you so much, guys. <laughs>